Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa DeSimone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the corporate tax provisions of President Biden's Made in America tax plan, in particular, the international tax provisions. President Biden's Made in America tax plan is a hot topic right now and receiving substantial media coverage. In today's episode, we unpack some of the more complicated international provisions of the plan that impact multinational corporations. The U.S. tax code currently allows U.S. multinationals to avoid or reduce the U.S. income tax they pay on some of their foreign earnings. Two of the guiding principles of the Made in America tax plan are reducing profit shifting by eliminating the incentives for U.S. multinationals to offshore investment and ending the global race to the bottom. We discuss how Biden proposes to achieve these goals. Hello, Lisa. Hello, B. So President Biden's Made in America tax plan was released in April of 2021, along with the American Jobs Plan, which is his quote-unquote infrastructure bill that calls for about $2 trillion in new spending. Biden wants to fund a non-trivial part of this spending with corporate tax increases. And a few of those ways that he's proposing to increase the corporate tax is related specifically to U.S. multinationals. And interestingly, a lot of these proposals that Biden is making essentially reverse provisions of the tax code that were only very recently put into place. That's right. These reversals are being proposed as ways of eliminating incentives for U.S. multinationals to invest overseas and report their profits offshore. So the first is to reform a provision from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, or TCJA, which was signed into law in December 2017 by former President Trump. It was a provision that imposed what's called a a tax on global intangible low-tax income. And if you're sitting there thinking that's a mouthful, it is. But if you take the first letter of every word, you come up with guilty, And that's our first lesson for today is that if there's one thing Congress is good at, it's coming up with clever acronyms. But to understand the guilty tax, we need to take a step back. So if we get back in our time machine before the TCJA, it was a simpler time. The corporate tax rate was 35%. And the U.S. had what we call a worldwide tax system. It wasn't perfectly worldwide, but it was definitely leaning in that direction. And what that meant was that every company that was incorporated in the U.S., subject to and protected by the laws of the U.S., had to pay U.S. tax based on its worldwide earnings. So let's be really simple. Assume we have a U.S. company that makes $100 of profit in Ireland. It has to pay $35 of tax to the U.S. on that Irish profit. Chances are it also had to pay tax to Ireland. Let's call it $15. And that's not a good answer from an economic perspective, because what you have is two different countries taxing that same $100 of profit. That, that generally is not a good answer. And so to avoid that thing, which we call double taxation, countries with worldwide tax regimes often allow foreign credits. So what that means is at the end of the day, our company is going to pay $35 in tax in total. It's going to pay $15 of it to Ireland and then a residual $20 to the U.S. So the U.S. is giving up part of its tax revenue because it realizes that the company paid it to another country. 
If instead the U.S. company set up an affiliated corporation incorporated and subject to the laws of Ireland and earns $100 of profit through that Irish corporation, then that affiliated group of companies would only owe $15 of tax to Ireland. It would not owe any tax immediately to the U.S. The U.S. would only collect tax if and when the Irish company repatriated or sent money back to the U.S. company. And that worldwide structure that we had gave U.S. companies an incentive to do two things. First, to report as much profit in that Irish sub as it could, because that was only being taxed at 15% instead of 35%. And then two, to delay that repatriation as long as possible and avoid that incremental $20 of tax. So some estimates say that U.S. companies had accumulated as much as $3 trillion in untaxed foreign earnings by 2016, the year before they passed the TCJA. It wasn't being used to fund investment in the U.S., but also some researchers at Stanford, MIT, and others at the universities of Toronto, Connecticut, and Oregon have all found that having cash trapped overseas led U.S. multinationals to make some suboptimal foreign investment decisions. The TCJA aimed to reduce those tax incentives for profit shifting and investing overseas and instead to encourage repatriation back home. And to encourage repatriation, one thing the TCJA did was impose a mandatory one-time transition tax on all of these previously untaxed foreign profits at a relatively lower rate of either eight or 15 and a half percent, depending on whether the assets were held in cash or less liquid assets. So the point of this transition tax was basically saying to companies, you can keep the cash over shores if you want, but we're gonna make you pay the tax on it regardless. So you might as well bring it home and start using it for investment in the US. So about a month after the TCJA was enacted, Apple announced its plans to repatriate 250 billion of overseas cash to the US open up a new location, and create about 20,000 jobs. Now, to access that cash, Apple had to pay about $38 billion in this transition tax, which is a non-trivial amount. I don't have $38 billion lying <laughs> around. I don't think many companies do. But that tax was a lot lower than it would have been without this favorable rate under the TCJA. So that's how the TCJA tried to encourage repatriation. And then they also tried to reduce incentives for profit shifting by moving the U.S. away from this worldwide system of taxation and closer to what we call a territorial system of taxation, under which companies just pay tax on the profit they report in their resident country. The problem is that the shift to territorial just makes it even that much more advantageous for U.S. multinationals to shift their profits to lower tax countries overseas. They pay low tax there in those foreign countries. And under the territorial system, the U.S. has now agreed it's never going to touch those profits. It's never going to tax them. That's win-win. Sure enough, our good friend, Professor Kevin Markle at Michigan State University has research showing that multinationals based in countries with territorial tax systems, which we have now under the TCJA, shift more profits than those based in countries with worldwide tax systems, which is what we had before that tax law change. So circling back to the famous guilty tax, it's intended to curb those incentives by taxing foreign profits that look and smell as if they were shifted overseas to low tax countries, just so that companies could avoid that US tax. Okay, so now you're talking about smelly shifted profits. Can you clarify what you mean and talk a little bit about why it is so difficult for countries to tax 
income in the jurisdiction where it was actually earned, as opposed to where companies shifted or reported it. Part of the challenge is trying to figure out where profits are truly earned. So I'm going to pick on, you brought up Apple, I'm going to pick on them a little bit uh, and use them as an example of how it can be difficult to decide where a company's profit should be taxed. Think of me sitting on a plane and I'm bored. I want to buy a song from Apple. I'm a U.S. citizen and a U.S. resident. I'm on a plane. I download the song while the plane is over the U.K. I'm on my way to Germany, which is where I'm actually going to listen to the song. Neun and Neun Sig Balloons, of course. <laughs> Apple's based in the U.S. Its digital rights to the song are an asset on the balance sheet of its subsidiary in Ireland. When I actually go to download the song, my phone pings a server by Apple in Singapore. And so I've just mentioned a whole host of countries that are all candidates for where Apple could be taxed, where I'm a citizen, where I reside, where I am when I make the purchase, where I am when I use the purchase, where Apple is based, where the asset is owned, where the digital file is stored. If your head is starting to spin, that's kind of the point. This gets complicated very quickly. The current system used by most countries around the globe is going to assign the profits to the country that hosts the company's assets that produce the product. So in this case, I said the digital rights to the song were an asset owned by its subsidiary in Ireland. That was probably very intentional of Apple to do that. This is what's so magical about intellectual or intangible property, music rights, software, brands, trademarks, formulas. What's so magical about them is they're fairly easy to pick up and move wherever you want, and you're going to move them somewhere with, with a low tax rate. So that's just one example of a dial companies can turn to shift their profits around the globe. And as a result, at least some portion of corporate profits end up being taxed where companies choose to report them. Guilty assumed it was okay for companies to earn about a 10% return in any country, that that was an acceptable, reasonable, real, true level of profits, and that anything in excess of 10% was likely to be smelly, as you call them, shifted profits. Those would be subject to the U.S. guilty tax. So I think it's completely understandable that a country like the U.S. doesn't want to see a large portion of its tax base just disappear solely because the economy is shifting to focus more on these highly mobile intangible assets. So the guilty sounds like a reasonable way for the U.S. to make sure it gets at least some share of U.S. companies' foreign profits to tax. Mm -hmm. But President Biden doesn't seem to think it goes far enough. And I guess basically what he's saying is that 10% is too generous of a rate of return. That's That in and of itself is unreasonable. And so he's proposing that the guilty be amended so that all profits reported in low-tax countries get taxed by the U.S. Yes, and it's an important fix, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily because he thinks 10% is too generous. The problem is that the way the guilty was originally written it ends up actually incentivizing firms to invest overseas. By exempting that first 10% return on foreign assets, all you've done is give an incentive to companies to increase their foreign assets so that that exemption amount gets bigger and bigger. Okay, so this is when my little tax nerd brain catches on fire because we're trying to curb income shifting. We're trying to curb offshore investment. So why on earth would we create a policy that exempts the first 10% return on foreign investment from U.S. tax, knowing that the next logical step is having companies see that as an incentive to increase foreign investment. Yeah, I mean, this is such a great classic example 
of why drafting effective tax policy is so challenging. All right, so now you got me all worked up. How does this end up happening? Why did they design the law this way when it's so obvious what perverse and unintended incentive it's going to create? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there are at least two answers. So first is just the speed with which the TCJA was passed. Uh, We saw the first bill in early November. It was passed fewer than 50 days later in December. There really just wasn't that much time that they spent seeking input and comments. Second, it's just really, really difficult to measure how much profits a company would have reported in a country absent these tax incentives. It is difficult to tease out true profits from shifted profits. So the the guilty equation that they came up with, you know, that's that's one way of going about it. It just unfortunately then opens up increased foreign investment as one way multinationals can game the system. So Biden's proposal to drop that 10% exemption removes that loophole and fixes the problem. But Biden's proposed change has some potential downsides too, if I'm thinking about it correctly. If our overarching goal is to move closer to a territorial system and be more in line with what other countries have, it seems reasonable to allow some level of foreign earnings to escape U.S. taxation, right? Yeah, that's right. Otherwise, we're just reverting exactly back to that worldwide system. So the guilty tax really is only supposed to apply to low tax foreign profits. So we're only picking on your profits being reported in countries with lower tax rates than the U.S. Um, So even with this fix, getting rid of the exemption, not all profits are going to be taxed. And so we're going to end up with what what I'll call a quasi-territorial system. All right, let's talk about what else Biden is proposing to end what's called the race to the bottom. The race to the bottom is basically just a way of describing how jurisdictions use low tax rates to compete for investment from corporations. We see it happening here among the U.S. states, and it happens big time internationally, with some countries offering tax policies that allow companies zero or near zero percent rates of taxation on their profits. These countries are often called tax havens. But the problem with tax havens is we, as the U.S., typically can't control another country's tax policy. That's their sovereign right to write whatever policy they want. So instead, we have to come up with ways that negate the incentives offered by their lower tax rates. And Biden's first proposal along these lines is another change to the guilty, this time to the guilty tax rate. Currently, under the TCJA, the rate could be as high as just over 13%. But still, compared to the regular U.S. rate of 21%, that's pretty low. Right. So if I'm a U.S. multinational and I'm trying to decide, I can either shift profits to a foreign country and pay about 13% tax to the U.S., or I can keep those profits in the U.S. and pay 21% tax to the U.S., I'm still going to choose that 13% tax rate all day long if I'm just thinking about tax factors. So that's exactly why President Biden's proposal is to raise this guilty tax rate closer to the regular tax rate of 21%. President Biden also specifically targets tax havens with another proposed change to guilty. That is to calculate it on a country by country basis instead of on a global basis. And what this does is it makes it much more punitive. So the way it works now, if I have a lot of excess profits in, say, Ireland with their, you know, just under 13% tax rate, 
But I also have a bunch of profits in Portugal with a 30% tax rate. Under the current system of guilty, I may not owe any guilty tax because the average rate is going to be pretty close to the U.S. rate of 21%. But if we instead look at the foreign profit tax rates within each country instead of average across the two countries, you're going to owe guilty tax in Ireland for your Irish profits, regardless of whether you're paying higher rates in other countries. Another provision that Biden wants to repeal from the TCJA is called the Base Erosion Anti-Abuse Tax, or BEAT. Ding, 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 ding. Sounds like an acronym to me. And another clever acronym, because perhaps unsurprisingly, the BEAT is another stick that the U.S. is using to beat U.S. corporations into not doing so much profit shifting, specifically via intercompany payments. So what the BEAT does is it basically taxes payments that U.S. companies make to their related foreign affiliates as a way to shift income out of the U.S. into a lower tax foreign jurisdiction. That's right. Biden wants to repeal and replace the BEAT with something called the Stopping Harmful Inversions and Ending Low-Tax Developments provision. And for those of you taking note at home, S-H-I-E-L-D spells the acronym SHIELD, as in tax shield. This time, the Democrats wanted you to know they can come up with good acronyms, too. So instead of disallowing deductions for these payments to foreign affiliates based on the size of those deductions, it's going to disallow those payments based on the tax rates of the subsidiaries that are receiving them. So again, this is specifically targeting low-tax countries and the race to the bottom, discouraging profit shifting to those lower-tax affiliates. Okay, this is getting a tad ridiculous, and now I'm starting to think it's written in some congressional rule book that every tax law needs a catchy acronym. But the SHIELD is just Biden's plan B. His plan A is to join the OECD G20 on a global minimum tax applied systematically by all countries. And that could be more effective because it removes the tax incentive to do any funny business and shift profits. It also puts a floor on the race to the bottom. Under this proposal, even if a country wants to compete by offering companies a lower tax rate, chances are it's not going to do the companies any good because they'll just have to pay a top off of their taxes to their home country to get their total rate on profits earned in any specific jurisdiction up to 15%. So, Lisa, how close do you think we are to an international agreement on a global minimum tax like this? Well, we're a lot closer than we were before January 20th, 2021, when Biden was sworn in. The OECD and and group of 20 uh, pretty rich countries have been working on an agreement for years with little help from the Trump administration. And so now Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and President Biden's proposal, they've both signaled genuine U.S. support backing a global minimum tax, which would have to coordinate somehow both with whatever replaces the beat, as we were just talking about, but also has to integrate with the guilty, right, which is basically our existing minimum tax that we're doing unilaterally without the backing of the rest of the international community. And uh, it pains me to say this at this point, but some people also call it the GLOBE, which is the acronym for Global Anti-Base Erosion Proposal. Yep. International policymakers love acronyms, too. I think I can at least get behind that one a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't seem as much of a stretch as some of the others, but... Where's where's the O? There's no O. Oh, I take it back. That's a stretch, too. 
so now we're down to my favorite part of the episode. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of Biden's proposals to change how we tax multinationals. So let's start with the good. Despite uncertainty over how it'll flush out the global minimum tax, you know, I think it's just really clever. And I think it's probably the only way we could truly curb excessive profit shifting to get this type of international agreement. I totally agree. And I like to take life lessons that I've learned as a parent and apply them to many other situations. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is the classic example of if one parent always says yes to ice cream and one parent always says no, the kid learns very quickly to just stop asking the parent who always says no. So I feel like this is trying to apply some core parenting to the global tax community. And if we just take away the countries that are softies and always giving the corporations as much ice cream as they want, we're going to have less ice cream. I love that analogy. Also, now I want ice cream. (laughs) So yes, in the absence of a global agreement, it's clear, to me at least, that some of the incentives created by the TCJA need to be tweaked. But I do still see a lot of room for improvement in Biden's proposals, which maybe, again, just underscores how difficult it is to write effective Mm -hmm. tax policy. But for example, it's possible that Biden's proposed tweaks to guilty are a little bit too restrictive. Mm -hmm. And although I agree that a global minimum tax seems like a step in the right direction, I think there are a ton of questions to be answered about how it's actually going to be implemented, which, of course, brings us to the ugly, which, once again, is the politics of it all. Getting a group of seven countries to agree on just the broad strokes of a global minimum tax has taken years, and next up is the G20, and so on and so forth. And at every stage of the negotiation, concessions get made. So it'll be interesting to see if a global minimum tax that results from all of these negotiations really has any teeth left to make a dent in multinational income shifting. The ugliest aspect is that all the countries, even if they agree on this policy together, which is hard enough in and of itself, they then all have to go back home and convince their legislatures to pass it into law. And in fact, congressional Republicans have already promised to oppose it. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'm Lisa DeSimone. And I'm Bridget Stomberg. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.